0: All right. Welcome in Inside Golf Podcast. My name is Andy Lack. Wells Fargo Championship betting and DFS preview. As always, we're brought to you by RickRungood.com. All of the tools, stats, and data that I will be referencing, you can find over at RickRungood.com. Use promo code Andy and join a great community over there. All right. I'm recording this on Saturday evening. John Rahm is leading the Mexico championship by two strokes. Looks like he's going to close the deal. Got to give it to him. Strong performance. I think you can probably pencil him in for, at worst, a 68 tomorrow. He shot 68 today, and it felt like he didn't play well at all, so... I think you're going to have to get to 1,800 par to have a chance. It's going to be tough. I think Champ uh, has got to shoot minimum 500 tomorrow to win. And the guys at 12 probably need to be sitting there thinking 65 or lower. So it's possible, unlikely though. I will say this, and you all know, I'm not a huge admirer of Greg Norman's work as a designer. I've actually found this tournament uh, extremely watchable. I think they did a pretty good job of setting up this golf course, and while I do prefer watching courses where there's some penalty off the tee for an accuracy, there's some some of the tee shots are a little bit more thought provoking, and most of all, I like watching pros lose a little bit of control over their golf ball when the ball hits the ground, which you get from, from firmer and faster conditions, which is why I've never been a huge fan of Pass-Palm. Uh But there's a pretty nice blend of holes here. Um, and I think having the wind kind of be a little bit more of a factor um, certainly helps with that. Uh, I like golf courses where you can go out and shoot sixty four, and you can also go out and shoot seventy four if you don't have it. Which I think you, I think that's here at this golf course. I think you kind of get that. I think you get that variability. And while this course lacks somewhat in true strategic shot values, um, because of the conditions and the way it is off the tee. It's still, it's still a good test. It's a big boy test, and it's kind of cool seeing players have three woods in on par fours. Um, I don't think that just adding length to a golf course is a way to make golf courses better. But I think if you add it in the right spots, which I think they did this week, um, so hats off to the tournament organizers and create a situation where there are clear birdie holes like i thought the seventh the drivable uh par four seventh was was good that was fun um there wasn't the the biggest penalty for hitting a poor drive but i still thought it was a good hole um and then there were some really hard holes too um which you combine them together and that's that's what creates a very fun golf course to watch because there ends up being a lot of movement on the leaderboard and variability. So obviously I'd hope for a better field, but this is a tournament that I would be like, ah, it's it's Mexico week. Like, all right, this golf course is kind of sneaky fun. I'm a little more excited than I think most people would be. And I think it played the way that a lot of us thought it was going to play, right? The bomber narrative, you know, got kinda out of control by the end of the week. Thirty percent Wyndham Clark. But it wasn't wrong. I mean, you listen you listen to the the player quotes, particularly Rom did a good job talking about this. Um, they're all like, Yeah, length really matters here and you didn't have to Listen to them speak to see that if you watched it at all. I mean, these guys are hitting three woods into par fours. Um, Long arm play really matters. Who was the star of this podcast last week? Cameron Champ. (laughs) Did I end up betting Cameron Champ or playing him in DraftKings? I did not. And he ended up coming in at way lower ownership than I thought as well, by the way. But the crucial mistake that I, and I guess like, 55% 55% of the field did was not choosing Ron. And I talked all week on multiple podcasts about how I thought it was a tough decision. I think a lot of people and hats off to them thought it was a very easy decision. Um, I thought there was a pretty good argument on both sides. I thought it was a pretty tough call that I kind of went back and forth on all week. Um, And you know, my guy, Cody, who's won literally hundreds of thousands of dollars in DraftKings the past month, we were both like, you know what? I'm going to take a chance and not do it and not play him at all. And you got to be comfortable sometimes when you take a stand and it's incorrect. You got to be able to own it and be okay with it. If you're not, you're probably risking way too much money. My argument all week was never about whether or not Rom was a good play. Um, I thought he was super, super underpriced for what he should be or whether or not Rom was going to have a good week. My whole thing was, okay, what's the opportunity cost of playing him and what could possibly happen on the off chance that he doesn't play well? And listen, it's not like my Finau, Reed, Rye, Smalley lineups are doing poorly, but you had to play him to to really win big. So congratulations to all the Ron backers. I don't think anyone was thinking like, yeah, I'm going to bet this guy at three to one. Uh, but if you played him in DraftKings and got some of the lower tiered guys right, you probably had a nice week. Uh, and I'm looking forward to this one next year. I, I think it'd be cool if we went back here every year. I'd be okay with it. I do think the field will get better next year because listening to the guys talk after their rounds, I think they were all very complimentary of the golf course, uh, very complimentary of the resort. So hopefully through word of mouth, uh, that brings out some more good players next year. All right, Wells Fargo Championship. So this tournament is normally played at Quail Hollow. But since Quail Hollow is hosting... The President's Cup this year. We are headed to TPC Potomac at Avenal Farm, a uh, controversial golf course from what I've heard. The good thing is we do have some stats on this course because it hosted the Quicken Loans National both in 2018 and 2017. So let's run through all the times that we've seen TPC Potomac before. So the 2018 Quicken Loans National was won by Francesco Molinari at 21 under par. He beat Ryan Armour by eight strokes. It was one of the more, honestly, by from a strokes gain standpoint, one of the more dominating performances of the last decade. 2017, Kyle Stanley, seven under par, uh, beat Charles Howell in a playoff. Uh, you'll notice the scores were a lot lower than in 2017. They 2018, they got a ton of rain. 2017, it played as the hardest non-major on the PGA Tour. And then we've had a couple Corn Ferry Tour events here too. Michael Putnam, minus seven uh, over Chess and Hadley. It played as the hardest course on what was the web.com tour that year. Uh, and then in 2012, it hosted something called the Neediest Kids Championship presented by Under Armour, which was won by David Lingmurth over Casey Wittenberg, haven't heard that name in a while, at eight under par. It played as the second hardest course on the web.com tour that year. So like I said, in 2018, because they got a lot more rain than I think the tournament organizers were hoping for, uh, it played a lot easier, uh, and Molinari was able to go out and shoot that crazy low score. But as you can see from the other occurrences, and either the rest of the leaderboard on the Molinari year, Seems like a pretty difficult golf course, right? So let's dive in. It's a par 70 TPC Potomac measuring 7,107 yards. It was designed by Ed Alt, Tom Clark, and Ed Sneed in 1986 with a Steven Wensloff and Jim Hardy redesign in 2006. I'm pretty plugged into the architecture world in terms of the amount of time I spend reading about it. I've never heard of any of those guys. Uh, none of them. So do with that what you will. But, I mean, we can talk about how I think they, they really screwed this one up on the first try, and then they figured some things out and got it right on the second try. But anyway, water comes into play on four holes. We're back to bank grass, which I love. Bentgrass fairways, um, Kentucky bluegrass rough measuring 3.5 inches. So that's, you know, that's a pretty healthy rough. This is the first time in what feels like, I guess, since Bay Hill where rough is a thing. It, it, it matters this week. Um, the greens are only 4,265 square feet on average with a one, a four bentgrass running 13 on the step. So pretty small greens. Uh, fast, firm, Pencrass greens. So I want to start here. Uh, this course originally opened in 1986, as I mentioned, and it hosted a PGA Tour event from 1987 to 2006. Now, players hated this course. Uh, they openly criticized its poor design. Uh, there were also some drainage issues. It was plagued by flooding and drainage problems, and there were a bunch of turf issues that affected the greens. The greens used to be POA. Uh, They got switched completely now to bent. Anyway, players hated it. Uh, They didn't want to come here anymore, and the event quickly became like the equivalent of today's, I don't know, John Deere. Just bad fields year after year because the players hated the course. So in 2007, they finally had enough, and they said, okay, we got to change this. Let's throw $32 million at the problem. So they basically tore up every single blade of grass uh, and made a ton of changes. They made it longer. Uh, The six hole, which was, I think we could say now retrospectively, a failed copy of Augustus 13th. They tore it up completely. Uh, Now it's a straightaway long par four. They just blew it up. Uh, Par three, ninth, which shout out Greg Norman again, getting a lot of run on this podcast. Once said, should be blown up with dynamite. Uh, That was completely rebuilt with a new green on a hill. The old 10th and 11th got combined into a new 10th hole along par five, which is playing around a restored creek. Uh, The old 12th is now the 11th, and the old par-5-13th, which players really hated, uh, was eliminated and replaced by a new uphill par-3-12th and a short par-4-13th. The 7th and 16 greens were renovated to flatten contours and provide a bunch of additional hole locations. There were uh, new collection areas around three four and 18 and the fifth and sixth fairways were widened. The 13th green was flattened in the front. And I think that's about it. So they tore up everything. (laughs) And I think the reviews in 2017, 2018 were far more positive. What else? So we know this golf course has played pretty difficult despite not being overly long on the scorecard. And there are a couple of reasons for that. The fairways are pretty narrow. And like I said, for the first time in what feels like a while, the rough is actually enough to make players really think here. Like you'll see in some of the quotes that I pulled, all the players talk about how you have to stay in the fairway uh, because three and a half inch Kentucky bluegrass rough can, that can be challenging to control your ball, ball out of, especially when you are approaching small and firm greens. So you actually have to drive the ball really straight here. That was the biggest thing that stood out to me. You can't bomb and gouge this course. Players have talked about that. There are too many weird angles and trees and rough and hazards you have to deal with. Um, I wouldn't wouldn't necessarily call it a club down course either, because I, I think it actually plays a little bit longer than the scorecard suggests. Like eight of the 12 par fours measure over 440 yards, but none measure over 490. So you're going to have a ton of middle iron approach shots this week. Uh, But like on these 440 to 490 yard holes, you don't have to hit driver there, but you'll have a longer approach if you sacrifice length to find the fairway. So right off the bat, I'm looking for really accurate drivers of the ball and good mid-iron players. The course only has two par fives, and one of them is 619 yards. So it's not really reachable. Across 2017 and 2018, these two par fives ranked on average as the third hardest par fives on the PGA Tour. So you don't just have a ton of birdie holes, you've got a lot of medium-length par fours, only one reachable par five and one drivable par four. I don't think it will play as difficult as it did in 2017. Um, I'm talking to Patrick McDonald, brand new CBS sports golf writer, Patrick McDonald, by the way, um, on the podcast this week, who lives right down the road from the course. So I'll be asking him about how much rain they've gotten stuff like that. Uh, but I think he's probably got a pretty good beat on what we should expect. And I think the big narrative that you will hear this week, which again, I don't always think the, I mean, the bomber one was correct. Right. But I think a lot of people are going to point to the fact that, Hey, any course that Kyle Stanley can win at, that's got to mean it's all about T degree and putting doesn't matter at all. And I would say that I, agree with that for the most part i mean i think it's certainly a week where i'll be underweight in how much i weigh putting compared to how much i normally do uh once you get on the greens they're pretty flat uh and it's absolutely about ball striking it's a pretty tough course from t to green you could probably argue the easiest part of the course relative to other courses is once you actually get on the greens in 2017 in typical Kyle Stanley fashion, he wed the field in greens and regulation percentage and lost strokes putting. He was also first in strokes gained off the tee. I think off the tee is pretty, pretty damn important this week, which I'll get to in a second. But for Stanley, he was 29th in distance and third in accuracy. And he was also six in proximity of the hole and only 50 second in putting. So it was just a absolute ball striking display pretty much what you'd expect uh for how Kyle Stanley would win a PGA tour event let's go through a few quotes real quick because i thought these were interesting david legmerth who won the corn ferry tour event said hitting fairways that's one of the big keys out here it's a course where the rough is very penalizing really gnarly As fast and as firm as these greens are, you really need to stay in the fairway to have a chance of making birdie. It's a course that is visually kind of straightforward. It's easy to pick targets. It's just a great golf course. You don't necessarily have to be too aggressive here. Michael Putnam basically said the same thing. If you get aggressive on this golf course, it's really easy to make bogeys. There are penalties everywhere. I was aiming towards the middle of the greens, having 20 footers for birdies. Hudson Swafford, you've got to be patient out here. You can get on the bogey train very quickly. You can't try to overpower it. It's like a U.S. Open venue. The greens are getting firmer and faster and the roughs not getting shorter. So that really just makes me think it's kind of like a plotter's course where you kind of just have to stay patient and pound fairways and pound greens And there isn't a massive advantage for being super long here. And accuracy is the name of the game over distance. Uh, And, of course, mid-iron player. Unfortunately, our boy, Corey Connors might be 18 to 1. That will be a decision, certainly. Um, All right, let's run through some of the stats before I talk about some of the players. There's a lot of guys I actually really like this. Off the tee. So 20.8% of strokes gain in 2018 came from off the tee which is well above the tour average of 15.2%. In 2017, uh, 22.4% of strokes gained came from off the tee, which is dramatically above tour average. So you hear a lot about second-shot golf courses, right? Um, Where, I mean, you could even make the argument about the place we just had in Mexico. Everybody's going to be able to hit the fairway, which really places an emphasis more on the second shot. I don't think TPC Potomac is is like that at all. Not to say that the second shot isn't important. Of course it is. But I think the first shot on this golf course is really important. Kyle Stanley called it very demanding off the tee. And I quote, if you get a little bit out of position, it just creates problems for yourself. So being in the fairway off the tee was something I knew was going to be big this week. And I'm going to run through a couple stats from 2017 and 18 that kind of prove this theory of mine. So TPC Potomac has ranked on average second out of 37 courses in missed fairway penalty. So there you go. TPC Potomac has ranked on average 11th out of 37 courses in average difference of score from the rough than the fairway. TPC Potomac has ranked second out of 37 courses in average difference score from non-rough locations than from the fairway. And TPC Potomac has ranked six out of 37 courses in missed fairway percentage that result in a penalty stroke. So there you go. About a quarter of my whole model is targeted around identifying who are the best, most accurate drivers of the golf ball. Who are the best drivers on courses where there is a penalty off the tee? Who do the best job of keeping the ball in play? Just looking through the holes, I don't think this is a golf course where you want to have that big left miss that we see with Cam Smith some of the time. I think you're kind of dead if you're missing big on this course. There's there's not a ton of water, but there's this, I don't know what you would call it, I guess a baranka. It's a hazard that comes into play in a bunch of holes. And then if you're in the forest, I think you're just kind of dead in there. So accuracy off the tee, I think it's big this week. Approach. 34.4% of strokes gained in 2018 came on approach, which is right at tour average. In 2017, 36.6% of strokes gained came from approach, which is a little more healthily above tour average. So it has ranked on average 19th out of 37 courses in strokes gained difficulty on approach. Um, It had the ninth hardest greens to hit on average last year and about 23%. Of approach shots came from over 200 yards right around tour average 24 percent came from 175 to 200 uh, which is well above tour average there's your middle irons and 21 percent 20.9 percent of approach shots came from between 150 to 175 that's right around tour average so two-thirds of all approach shots are coming from over 150 so this is definitely a a middle to long iron course, not a ton of wedges here that you remember you got all those eight, um, kind of medium to long par fours, And like I said, I think this is a step one, step two course. Um, I, what I mean by that is if you don't drive it in play, nothing else really matters. But if you do drive it in play, you're going to get a lot of mid irons on this course because like I said, you've got all those kind of medium-length par 4s. You've got the par 3s are all between like 170 and 222. In terms of around the green, uh, 13.7% of strokes gained in 2018 came from around the green, which is certainly below the tour average of 14.5%. And TPC Potomac has ranked on average 10th out of 37 uh courses and strokes gain around the green difficulty. So it's pretty challenging if you miss the greens here. But one thing that jumped out to me 29th out of 37 in up and down percentage from the fairway, but eighth out of 37 in up and down percentage from the rough, and third in up and down percentage from the sand. So this course is gonna have a lower greens and regulation percentage. Um, you're going to have to scramble a bit, especially if you get yourself into trouble off the tee. It seems like the collection areas are pretty easy, uh, and these greens aren't all that undulating. But the bunkers are pretty deep. These were the third hardest bunkers to get up and down from. So overall, I have a pretty standard weight on around the green with a more heavy emphasis on bunker play. And then putting it ranked 26 out of 37 in strokes gain putting difficulty. 31.1% of strokes gain in 2018 came from putting, which is well below the tour average of 35.7%. And in 2017, the Kyle Stanley year, only 27% of strokes gained came from putting, which is one of the most significant differences I have seen in quite some time. So it ranked 23rd in putting inside five feet, it ranked 24th in putting inside or five to 15, 23rd from beyond 15 feet. So, you know, I think you just want to look for players that have had some success on bent grass before, but I don't think this is a week where you want to overdo it on putting. Personally, I think that bent grass is the easiest surface to putt on. Uh, but like I talked about last week with Palm you know, we can debate that one forever. I think it's really just about personal preference. So definitely want to be looking for players that have had some success on bent grass. And then the scoring stats, I'm not going to look at par five scoring here. There's only one reachable par five. Uh, The only, the other one's a true three shot hole. Um, And I think the only thing that I would make a case for is, you know, I think this is more of a bogey avoidance course than it is a birdies or better course. Um, Not just from the stats, but kind of looking at how players have described it. It's not really the course where you want to be super aggressive. Um, It's more about kind of mitigating disaster. It ranked 12th out of 37th in penalty strokes. The top 23 players in 2018 gained in bogey avoidance on the field. When Molinari won in 2018, he ranked first in bogey avoidance, uh, clearing the guy who ranked seven by a second, Abraham answer who finished fourth by a pretty healthy margin eight of the top 10 in bogey avoidance finished in the top 20 of the tournament uh, that year. And then in 2016, similar story, right? 15 of the top 16 in 2017 gained in bogey avoidance on the field. Kyle Stanley, who won, ranked second in bogey avoidance. Charles Howell, who finished second, lost in the playoff. He ranked third in bogey avoidance. So there you go. And then for comp courses, you know, I really struggled with this. I was thinking about, you know, Northeastern bent courses. And I just think TPC Boston is way too easy. And you can kind of spray it there. It's not like Winged Foot has these, you know, Winged Foot um, has like these giant undulating greens. Congressional is too long. I think the best I could do is, you know, think about what, TPC River Highlands would look like if they tried to make TPC River Highlands a lot harder. And I don't think there's as much risk reward Pete Dye stuff going on here. So I know it's not perfect, uh, but the agronomy is very similar. I think Highlands has a little POA in those greens, but it's still got that same Kentucky rough. Um, And it's kind of Highlands is it's kind of a sneaky off the T course. There's some there's some stuff there. Colonial isn't terrible either. You know, bent grass, positional, driving accuracy, middle irons, same length off the tee. That's fine, I guess. Um, But that's about it. You know, there's some other Bermuda courses like Sedgefield and Innisbrook that very much value driving accuracy uh, and mid-iron approach play, but I don't really feel the need to look too heavily at those. Um, I do think if you've played here in 2017 and 2018 – that does matter because so many of the players talk about how it's a lot about patience and you can't be overly aggressive here. So I think if you've been here before and familiarize yourself with some of the t shots and sight lines, that will be helpful. All right. Let's run through the model, give some early leans, uh, and then we'll get out of here. All right. So I threw all this together. Um, and here's who it shot out. Number one, Rory McIlroy, which I would imagine he's the best player in this field. Number two, my guy, Martin Laird, um, who I've been playing a lot of and will continue to play a lot of. Number two in the model this week. It's not a great field, but that was still like, whoa. All right. That's like a, it's a dominant number. It's a JJ spawn number. It's higher than those. Um, so we'll have our eye on Martin Laird this week. Number three, Paul Casey. Some injury concerns with that one, but I think he's a very intriguing DraftKings play. Uh, Mito is number four. I like this course a lot for Mito. I really do. Um, TBD, whether he's like a, you know, more of a bent or a Bermuda guy, but I think this accentuates a lot of the things that Mito does well. And then number five, of course, is is Corey Connors. Little low, I guess you could say, from from what I would expect. Uh, doesn't have the best short game or or bunker play, which which is hurting him a little bit here. Number six, Abraham Answer. I think this is a far better course for Abraham Answer than the one he is playing in Mexico this week. So he'll be somebody to monitor. Number seven, Ryan Armour, who finished second here to. Uh, Molinari in 2018 that makes sense he's another guy that'll probably be in the 6k range that hopefully doesn't get too chalky but I think he makes a ton of sense here Tony Finau number eight who Tony Finau's Tony Finau's hit the ball better than John Rahm in Mexico like he is he is striping it right now and the putter was terrible Uh, The first two rounds, I mean, literally in on Friday, it was some of the worst putting I've seen by a pro ever. Uh, But he kind of like found it a little bit on on Saturday and shot like eight under or shot five under. He's eight under for the tournament and like T-17 right now. So maybe if Finau, you know, he's someone to watch because he's got it right now with the ball striking. It's clicking. Number nine, Luke Lest makes a lot of sense right you imagine this is a list golf course number 10 Seth straka who's just been playing great right now number 11 keith mitchell who i like a lot i like keith mitchell a lot this week number 12 matthew fitzpatrick who is a very good fit on this course because he's turned into he's very good off the tee these days 13 is Tyrrell hatton 14 is russell henley who you know It's a there you can make a lot of it's one of those courses where I think Russell Henley could have a lot of success. Um, I thought he would be a little bit higher 15 Mark Leishman who's played well here before despite not being the most accurate off the tee by the way 16 my guy CT Pan who's very kind to me in Mexico this week 17 Russell Knox um, who I kind of like coming off. Back-to-back missed cuts. I think maybe he'll be priced more appropriately. Uh, Seamus Power is 18, who I also like. 19, Brian Harmer. Good course for Brian Harman. And 20, Doug Kim. Okay, so early leans. I think there are a lot of, and I didn't really do a great job of kind of setting the stage with the field here. Rory's the best player in the field. After that, the guy who's number two on the odds board... You could make an argument for a couple guys. It could be Corey Connors. Corey Connors could be 18 to one. If Tony Finau shoots 66 tomorrow, or I mean, he doesn't even probably have to shoot 66. He's already T 17. If he kind of pops up on coverage, like, Oh, Tony Finau backdoor T seven, he could be 20 to one. It could be Fitzpatrick. Although I think American markets tend to be a little bit cooler on him. Uh, answer, I don't think so. He didn't play well enough in in Mexico. Casey, there are too many injury concerns. Um, Henley, this will probably be a week where Henley will be 30-ish to one. And yeah, I think it's probably going to be, Rory will be like eight, maybe. And then you're going to have this range of Finau, Fitzpatrick, Connors, Hatton, Woodland, uh, Answer. Reed is going to be back down there. Reed's been playing great this week. Casey, I guess, right? So maybe Homa, um, maybe Leishman because of the course history, right? But it's going to be another week where you're going to, Rory's far and beyond the best player in the field it's nothing like the gap between Rom and Mexico and Rory will definitely not be three to one. Maybe you'll even be 10 who knows, but you know, he's coming off a of second at the masters uh, where he was awesome. Uh, and that's still fresh in a lot of people's minds. So Connors obviously is the one that I think makes the most sense on paper that I think could be 25% owned and most people are going to be, Most people are going to feel like they're priced out of this week, right? If, if Rory is the equivalent of ROM last week, and I don't think it will be anything close to that in terms of like the decision you have to make, I think, you know, Rory will, maybe he'll be the same price as ROM because ROM was so underpriced. Um, And then Connors will have maybe the Woodland role where he's 10 K and he's twenty five ish percent and Woodland didn't end up being that much, actually. Woodland came in a lot lower than I think a lot of people thought, but I think Connors is going to be the obvious guy, and i as it stands on saturday evening I, I'm probably not in the business of betting Connors at twenty to one maybe not probably not even twenty five to one So I thought about, okay, how can we find discount versions of Corey Connors in this field, and there are a lot, you know. I mentioned Mito. I like Mito a lot here. I think uh he's not uh, he's not as accurate as Connors off the tee, but he's pretty damn close, right? Uh he's a pretty damn good mid iron player too. He's second in bogey avoidance. Um again, it's hard to tell what his preferred surface is, but so far he's been fine on bent. And I think you want to play him on more difficult courses where driving accuracy really matters and you are rewarded for precise ball striking. And I think that is exactly what TBC Potomac does. Um, I think it's a near perfect fit. Now he's coming off a WD at the team event and a lot of people were high on team Chile. So maybe that helps a little bit with ownership. If there's some injury concerns, I'll play him. I don't care, but, I take risks like that all the time and it doesn't always pay off, but I'm comfortable with it. But I look at what he did at the heritage and he's the ball striking. He's kind of like getting close to what it was when he caught everyone's attention on the fall string. He gained over three off the tee and on approach Um, off the tee got better. Approach got better. It's just starting to trend again um, after kind of a quietish start to the season. This is the first time that he gained over three off the tee and on approach since the Shriners in the fall when he was hitting the cover off the ball. The other guy that I think is kind of a, a discounted Connors is Keegan who finished fifth at this course in 2017. In 2017, Keegan gained 12 strokes from T to green here at TBC Metobic lost, strokes putting he could have easily won the tournament he hit the ball just as good as kyle stanley that week and lost a little bit more putting than stanley did um and then he didn't come back in 2018 but i think there's a lot to like about keegan here really good driver of the ball um awesome iron player great with those middle irons solid from 200 plus two uh the one thing that the concern I have with him is that his bunker play has has been poor, but that's a little confusing because he still gains a ton. He's still really good around the green, um, and he's won twice before on Bancross. Uh So you know he's coming off a fourth at the team event, and prior to that he finished eighth at the Valero, where he gained four point one on approach, five point eight around the green. There are a ton of bunkers there, so. He seemed to be okay. Um, but I think he's playing well. And and he's, you know, eight starts this season. He's only missed one cut. And it came on the week where he was mega chalk at the Valspar. 12th at the Sony, 26th in Phoenix, 11th API, 5th at the Players, 8th at the Valero. And he does it all not putting well. Um, and he can easily win this tournament losing strokes putting. And if you don't want to pay 18 or 20 to one for Connors, I think Keegan does a lot of the same stuff that Connors does. And he actually has a better short game than Connors. Yes. Connors is better, but I think you can get a nice discount on Keegan for what I would worry, um, might be a pretty low price on Connors this week. I also like Seamus power a lot. Um, He's played here twice. He played here in 2017, 2018, made the cut both times. I like that he's got some experience. He's an above average driver of the ball, um, and he does well on tighter courses, actually. Uh, keeps the ball in play. He gains off the tee, and he's not long. So he does it mainly through accuracy. And uh, he's won the Barbasol on bent grass, uh, which has historically been his preferred surface. He's third in this field in bogey avoidance. He doesn't really make any big mistakes. He keeps the ball in play. 19th at the Travelers this year. That's another thing I should say about Keegan. He's got the Northeast thing going on, right? He plays really well in the Northeast. But Power, you know, he went on that run during the fall swing, and then he missed three cuts in a row, and then he's quietly started to come back. He was good at the match play. He finished T27th in his debut at the Masters, Gained 2.6 off the tee and 1.8 on approach. That's pretty impressive to me. Um, 33rd at the players too. And he, he, again, he went on this like incredible run where he went fourth, fifteenth, third, 14th, ninth, and he was contending a lot. And then he misses three cuts. And now it's, it appears that his game's rounding into form again. The irons came back. Um, the off the tee's been good. So I like the way power is trending. Um, And I don't know 50 in this field seems pretty reasonable. I think he's a little out of sight, out of mind right now for most. I always say these guys are out of sight, out of mind. And then I start talking about them and I'm wrong, but this is how it feels recording this on Saturday night before the podcast comes out. And then Keith Mitchell is the other guy was looking at a ton. He's the number one player off the tee in this field. And You know That has a little bit more to do with distance and accuracy, but you can't rate that highly off the tee without being extremely straight as well. Um, And Keith Mitchell is a long and straight driver of the ball. He's the type of guy that's going to be able to step up to those 470-yard par-fours, hit driver, and hit driver straight. Um, And he's got an underrated short game. I think the biggest concern, still not a great middle iron player, right? Um, But he's got a really good short game. And although I think most people think of him as a Bermuda guy, he's had a lot of nice success on bent grass as well. Um, So I think you make a good, really good case for Mitchell and he's played well this year. Um, Like he missed cut at the team event, but prior to that, he finished 13th at the players gained 4.3 off the tee there. Um, In seven stroke play events, this season, he's made six cuts with five top 15 finishes. So he's he remains dominant off the tee. He's got the potential to spike with the putter as well. It really just comes down to the iron play, which at least has been better this year. Um, so I like Keith Mitchell a lot. And then we'll run through a couple more of these guys. I think there are a lot of good options. I mentioned Laird. I, I'm contractually obligated to bet Laird. Um, I He'll probably be at least 100 to 1. Uh, but he's just—he's really accurate off the tee, which I felt mattered this week. Um, he's first in good drive percentage. He's such a good mid iron player. He's eighth in proximity from one seventy five to two hundred. Eleventh from two hundred plus. Um, thirty first one fifty to one seventy five. He's one of the best. Best. You add it all together and you weight it. He's one of the best middle to long iron players in this field. Trustable short game. And although Benkras hasn't been his best surface, he's had plenty of success on it over the years. 17th in bogey avoidance. He's had some nice success at the Travelers before. And he continues to hit the ball great. He 29th at the Valero, 3.7 off the tee, 0.8 on approach, neutral around the green, the off the tee got way better. Um, and it's just going to come down to the putter, right? The, uh, the putter's a little shaky for him. Obviously, if... Uh, if I was weighing putting a little bit heavier, he wouldn't be so highly for me. But I think he has a T-degree game to really succeed on this course. A couple other guys that have my attention based on like odds, some longer guys. I mentioned Armour and Glover. I didn't mention Glover, but I mentioned Armour. I think Ryan Armour and Lucas Glover are really good top 40 plays. I like Tyler Duncan a lot as a top 40 play. I'm going to go back to domin as a top 40 play. I like Russell Knox as a top 40 play. In terms of other guys, I'm looking to bet. I like Sergio here. I know he's maybe got some lift stuff in his future, but I think it's a good good course for Sergio if, if the motivation is there. You know, we got the co-crack WD uh, earlier this week. Xander, by the way, uh, pulled out as well. I think Xander is going to play Byron Nelson and not this. Interesting. Um Leishman, I think, will be a very popular bet this week. He's been good in, in his two appearances here. He kind of he's not super accurate off the tee, but he kind of does it in other ways. He's a great iron player. Um, good bent grass putter. He's won the Travelers before. I think you kind of gotta be enamored with Cameron Young right now, right? I mean, he's I don't think anyone really expected him to pop at the Heritage, which was a course that didn't do the best job of accentuating his skill set, That was a course that kind of takes driver out of his hands. I think he's still going to be able to hit driver here. And he's really straight too, for how long he is. Right. I I think more of his off the tee prowess comes from distance, but he's very straight too, and keeps the ball in play. Um, Another guy like that is Cameron Davis, who also popped at the heritage, uh, who I think is, is going to be interesting for me this week. And then Brian Harmon as well. Had my attention. He just—he's super, super accurate off the tee. Uh, I like his short game. Both of his wins have come on back grass. So, you know, there's like eight guys I'm considering: Laird, Bradley, Mito, Seamus Power, Keith Mitchell, Sergio Leishman, Cameron Young, Harmon. I'm probably gonna have to cut that to six, but I think all of them will be above forty. I would imagine. Maybe Keith Mitchell catches a little steam. Maybe Sergio gets a little love, or Leishman gets a little love, but I think Leishman will still be 35-40. And then I think hopefully Mito, Power, Bradley, 450s, Cam Young maybe gets a little steam. Maybe he's in the 40s. Um, But that's it. And then Laird, Armour, Glover, Duncan, Dahman for top 40 plays, but that's it. All right. That will do it for me. Once again, I've got Patrick McDonald coming on, on the Tuesday podcast, uh, who will be going to this event, who just got a great new job, who I'm excited to talk to about that. He's been on the podcast a couple times before, but it's been, I think since the, we did the Ryder cup together, or we did a Ryder cup recap together. Um, he's been a buddy for a while since the very beginning. So that should be fun. Scramble Tuesdays and Fridays with Rick. Odds checker articles Wednesdays and Saturdays. Um, I do a more in-depth breakdown of this golf course on rickrungood.com, which will be posted for subscribers on Monday. Um, My Wednesday final thoughts article, DFS, uh, where I talk a little bit more about weather and ownership, that will be out on Wednesday. And that will do it. You can find me on Twitter at ADPWAC Sports. You can find this podcast on Twitter at insidegolf_pod underscore pod on Twitter. You can reach out at InsideGolfPod at gmail.com or hit me in the Rick Run Good Slack channel. And have a great Sunday. And we'll see you next time. Cheers.